0: Well this morning I'd like to welcome you to our services whether you're watching online or if you're here in the sanctuary we are so glad that you've come to worship our Lord and Savior. My name is Pastor David Pray and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Pastor Doug and Jill are away in Maine they're celebrating Doug's father Victor's 90th birthday. So they're having like 35 or 40 people down and they're gonna have a wonderful time Yesterday and then today as well. But he's looking forward to meeting back with you next week. For those that are new, we're in a series called The Bible. It's a story of love and belonging, redemption, and hope. And we as a church, we're going through every book of the Bible. And what we're doing is we're taking one book and taking a passage or a story from that book and expounding upon it and how it applies to our life. And as many of you guys know, we made it through the Old Testament which is, thank goodness on that. And then we hit through what, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now we're on to the letters, Paul's letters. And today we're going to be studying from 1 Corinthians. But before we get started on 1 Corinthians, I want to share with you a little bit about Corinth. Because that's what Corinthians is written to, is the town of Corinth and the believers. So Corinth was one of the most important cities of Greece. It was a very large and wealthy city. It was located on an isthmus, meaning that it was a seaport city. It had a lot of sailors that would come by. And because of its location, people and goods from around the world flowed in and out of its port. Corinth was a grand city of art, of sports, theater, dramas, musical, philosophy, and religion. And the town was also known for the Greek gods of Venus, which is the godness of love. And the city had many religious shrines and temples devoted to foreign gods. Sexual immorality and debauchery was very common. It was everywhere. And Corinth was the last place that you would expect that Paul would start a church. And this church flourished in the 18 months that he started it. And during this time he met with the early believers, Paul emphasized a few things to this early church. The first what it was, what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Second, what does a lifestyle of Christ followers should look like? And Paul emphasized that they were supposed to be different than from society and the world that was around them, that they were set apart to love one another, and to love God. Well, we fast forward two years after Paul started this church. And now Paul is in Ephesus. And he gets this message from Chloe and her household. And they send this message. And upon hearing this report, Paul must have thought to himself, What have I taught this church? Because he heard about some of the issues that was Going on and happening. See, when you read about um, the letters First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, what you have to understand is that actually there was four letters that were written. We don't even have the original letter, but First Corinthians is the second letter that Paul sends, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. And I want you to be aware: among all the things that, if you read through First Corinthians, and I invite you to read through First Corinthians, is that Paul loves the people of Corinth. Those are his friends, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And the first thing that you have to understand is that he wants to show them encouragement. But he also wants to correct them in these letters. See, remember, Paul cares very much how they were living their lives. And what Paul recognizes is that what he taught them in those 18 months is different than how they're living their lives now. And he's trying to correct them and to bring them back to where they're supposed to be so i really want to encourage you this week to read through first corinthians whether it's through the entire book or take um in your bulletin there's a chapter every day that you can read but take some time and look at it and i the book of corinthians is broken down into two parts the first part is chapters one through six and they talk about the major problems of the church and the major problems of the church is, number one, it was the divided church. There's four groups competing for leadership of that church. The second thing that you will find out that Paul talks about, it was a defiled church. Meaning that there was sexual immorality, there was drunkenness, not only inside the church, but also outside the church. And Paul is writing to the believers of inside the church as you read this letter. And this church was a disgraceful church. There were problems inside this church that were known to the community, and they had a terrible reputation because they weren't doing anything about it. This is was allowing things to happen. And those are the things that he focuses on the first six chapters. And then we have chapters 7 through 15, and Paul is addressing issues that the church of Corinth wrote to Paul and saying, you know what, we need your help. Can you give us some feedback? And some of the issues that they were talking about was marriage. Worship and the Lord's Supper. Spiritual gifts. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which brings me to the passage that we have for you this morning. Those are the big areas. Now we're going to bring this down to one particular area. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10-17. through 17. I just want to read it to you. It will be on the screen behind me. You can follow along. It says, I appeal to you. Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household had informed me that there were quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Paulus. Another says, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one can say that they were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanonis. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It probably shouldn't come to a surprise for us, is that there was division. And there was quarreling in this church. And it became a major issue in the church. And Paul had to address it. And it reminded me of a story that I once heard. I want to read it to you. There was this man in San Francisco walking along the Golden Gate Bridge, and he saw a second man ready to jump over the edge. And he stopped him and said, Surely it can't be that bad. You know that God loves you. And the man was about to jump, and he got a tear in his eye. And he said, Are you a Christian or a Jew? or a Hindu and the fellow said I'm a Christian and the guy said me too and he said are you a Protestant are you a Catholic well I'm a Protestant I am too well what franchise He says I'm a Baptist so am I Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist Northern Baptist for me well so am I well that's a miracle well, are you a Northern Conservative Baptist? Are you a Northern Liberal Baptist? I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Well, are you a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist? Are you a Northern Conservative Reformed Baptist? Well, I'm a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist, of course. Well, me too. Well, are you a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist? From the Great Lakes region? Or are you a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist from the Eastern region? Well, I'm a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist from the Great Lakes region. So am I. Well, are you a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region from the Council of 1897? Or are you a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region from the Council of 1912. Well, I'm the Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region from the Council of 1912. And the guy said, die, you heretic. And he threw him over the bridge. Well, you know what? It doesn't take too much for Christians to fight and to have quarrels with each other. And I'm sure there are a lot of people in this room that have scars to prove it. And I suspect that some of us have scarred other people in this room as well. And unfortunately, even Christians, even people in this church, we have sharp disagreements with one another. See, we live in a world that is full of division and full of quarrels during this time came across a quote from John MacArthur, he's a famous pastor, and he said basically, it's going to be on the screen in a second, he says, quarrels are a part of life. We grow up in them and around them. Infants are quick to express displeasure when they are not given something they want or when something they is taken away. Little children, they cry, they fight, they throw temper tantrums because they cannot have their own way we argue and fight over a rattle and then over a toy then over a football then it's on a position position on a team or a school play and then in business and the pta or even politics friends fight husband and wives fight businesses fight cities fight And even nations fight, and sometimes to the point of war. See, unfortunately, we live in a time where there is lots of disagreement, division, and quarrels in our lives. And as we turn back to this passage, and as we see what is happening in the church of Corinth, Paul starts out by saying what? In verse 11, he says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, had informed me that there are quarrels among you. We don't have very much information who Chloe is. There's not much that is written about her. But we do know is that she sends a message to Paul. And we continue reading verse 12. It says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas, which is another name for Peter. Great disciple. And another, I I follow Christ. See, what we have to remember is that the Christians at Corinth, they were very young. They were very immature. They only had Paul's leadership for 18 months. And then Paul went away. And two years have went by, and we see quarrels. The people that were being mentored in the faith of Paul. Basically, they were rising up and saying, you know what, we like Paul's leadership and the way he did things. And then you had other believers, and they were followers of Apollo, the next great leader of the church. And they enjoyed his strengths and his talents, And so those followers were rising up and saying, no, he's our guy. And then you also hear from from the followers of Peter. And they would share about his strength and how he was the true disciple and how they should listen to Peter. And as I read these verses, you realize that this is a big deal in this church. The church had began to divide over leadership and fractions were forming. And it got so bad that you had a family writing back the Apostle Paul. See, I'm guessing there was a lot of bragging that was going on. The church members were filled with pride. And they were filled with arrogance. And that's very, you know what? That's very, it happens. They lost their focus on what was most important. And what was the most important thing? It was about Jesus. So when Paul heard the message from Chloe's household, it broke his heart because he cared and he loved the people of Corinth. And how does Paul respond in this letter? It's interesting that Paul doesn't side with one fraction or another fraction. What does Paul do? He kind of pokes fun at himself. And he tries to dispel these fractions and he tries to create harmony. We go back to verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So why would Paul ask these questions? Why would Paul poke fun at himself? See, I think Paul was asking these questions for one important reason. Paul wanted everyone to remember the most important thing, It's not about the leaders. It's about Jesus Christ. See, it was Jesus that was crucified. And when we baptize people, we say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And I think what Paul wanted to remind all the Christ followers is that Jesus is the person you should be bragging about. And you should be boasting about Paul was trying to unite this church by going back to the foundation of our Christian faith. See, when you read the Bible, there's always a key passage. There's always a key verse. And that's verse 10 that we take from this passage. So we need to look at it more closely. It says, I appeal to you. Meaning that, what is he saying? I ask you. I urge you to what? He says, brothers and sisters. He's showing a level of respect to the believers. He says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no division among you, but that you will be perfect, united in mind, and thought. See, Paul is not saying, I would say, he's not saying everybody's going to agree with everything. But what he's saying is, you know what, don't let these things cause divisions in your church. See, Paul started this church 18 months ago. Two years passed by, and what Paul is stressing to the young church and the young believers is that they are to be united in likeness and in mind. He's pleading with the young believers not to show division, not to show quarrels, but to be united in mind and thought. And Paul challenges it, and he emphasizes this concept of unity. And this isn't something new, because if you remember back to the Gospels, and we learn that Jesus, before he died, what did he do? He went to pray. And he prayed for the believers and his disciples. And what did he pray about? Unity. See, Jesus knows that we're going to fail. But he prayed for unity among his body of believers. And I believe that Paul wants his brothers and sisters to remember that what brought them together was Christ. But so often, our eyes leave the target. And we start focusing upon ourselves, on our ways, and our needs. And we forget. And there starts to be problems. Because our focus is off of him. See, I was listening to Rick Warren this past week. It was a podcast I just happened to catch. And Rick was talking about the current state of the church. And when I was listening to this podcast, I'm like, this is so true. And I want to share it with you. He says, we have seen the greatest division in the church in the past two and a half years than I have ever seen in my lifetime. We have seen the largest unchurched people in our lifetime currently. We have the largest de people as well. And a lot of people have left the church in the past two and a half years. What happened? It seems like everything got political. And the church has lost its focus. The church started caring more about certain issues than about reaching and discipling people for Christ. He goes on and says, the focus in the last two and a half years has been on COVID became the most dominating issue. We argued about shots. There were groups that really wanted everyone to get shots. And we had another group that did not want to get shots. And people left the church. Some things happened with masks. Some groups wanted everyone to wear a mask. Other groups wanted freedom not to wear a mask. What happened? People left the church. You can go back to the elections. Certain people wanted one candidate to be president. Another group wanted another candidate to be president. What happened? People left the church. People are leaving the church. In the past two and a half years, we have invited those issues to be the forefront of our church. And they have become the dominant theme. In some ways, I think we need to go back to being the church. As a church, we need to get back, and we need to focus on Jesus Christ. We need to start loving God and honoring him. We need to start loving our neighbor, but it has to start with us. It has to start with our families. It has to start with the people inside this church. It has to be around the people around us. So when I look at this passage, I ask myself, well, how do I apply this passage to my life? Because what I think God is calling us is this call to unity. So how do we apply it? And I think the first thing, I, my first point is really, it's called it individually. What can I do? See, when you have quarrels and disagreements with someone, I believe you have to ask yourself this question. What is your purpose? Are you looking to win at all costs? Are you looking to create unity? Because if you're looking to win at all costs, if that's your purpose, I can tell you from experience, my experience, that only one person will be happy. And I can tell you, it might not even be you. But if you're looking to create harmony and unity, when you have quarrels and disagreements, I think you gotta go through a process. And this is kind of a process I'm going through myself. First of all, it starts with prayer i got to ask God for help. Because I have to acknowledge that I can't do it on my own strength. And I need to ask him to be part of it. The second thing I need to do is I have to have a mindset shift. Because it's not about me anymore. And I need to focus upon Jesus Christ. I need to remember about the cross and what Jesus has done for me. For when I pray and when I focus upon Christ, there's something in my heart There's something in my mind that changes. And hopefully, I become more humble and willing to see the other side. The third thing that I often will do is that I have to acknowledge that, you know what? This quarrel with someone, this disagreement, we're both sinful. We both have a part to play. And we have to just say, you know what? I have to own it. I have to take some responsibility of this problem. And the fourth thing I would say is that we have to learn, if we really want to create unity, is that we have to offer grace and love. See, grace is getting something you don't deserve. And love is given unconditionally. It's a choice. So when you offer that person grace and love, there's a sense of cooperation There's a better chance of unity among all things. And when I was thinking back of an illustration, because you had to have an illustration on this, I can think back to when I was a teenager, and probably mostly all the way through my 20s. I can think back to disagreements and quarrels that I would have with my parents or with my siblings. And if you ask me, my parents and siblings were wrong. They were always wrong. Because as a teenager and a young adult, I thought that I knew everything. That I had, like, life figured out. And my parents and my siblings, they just didn't understand my way of thinking. I did not realize it at the time, but some of these disagreements and some of these arguments with my parents, I was at fault more than I realized. But I didn't see it at the time. See, I can tell you what my parents did do. They chose not to win every battle with their son. And that's something that was important. They practiced prayer. They focused on Christ. And what did they do more than anything else? They offered me grace. And they offered me love. Much more than I deserved. Because they realized that I was kind of immature on many issues. See, I didn't realize it for many years later, And guess what happened? I had a life experience. I learned more wisdom. I had kids. Kids teach you some things. And what I realized is how much my parents loved me, and they offered me grace. And what I'm learning now is this, is that I have to offer love and grace to my kids. And I will tell you that I'm learning a lot through this process. My kids will tell you that I'm learning a lot through this process. But I'm working at it. I'm a work in progress. But in life, we all have quarrels. We all have disagreements. We have disagreements with friends. We have disagreements with coworkers. But I think these steps still apply to us. We have to ask the question, do I have to win this disagreement? Or can I choose unity and cooperation? Will I go through these steps in the sense of, am I going to pray about this situation? Will I look for God's help? Because I know I can't do it on my own. The second thing I need to do is I need to focus upon Christ. I've got to remember the cross. I've got to remember what Christ has done for me. He has forgiven me of my sins. And I need to be more humble when I talk to someone. The third thing is we have to acknowledge that we're both sinful. We both had a part to play. Any type of disagreement, it involves two people. And lastly, we have to remember is how can I show and offer love and grace? Remember, grace is giving something to someone that they don't deserve. And offering love is a choice. It's a choice to choose unity over being. The second thing that I think we have to focus on when we call it a unity is first as individual, and second, we've got to look at it as a church. And as a church, how can we show unity? See, in every church, there will be quarrels, and there are disagreements, and there will be hurt feelings. But I believe very much with what Rick Warren had said about the divisions in the church in the past two and a half years. There has been more than I can ever remember, and we're dealing with the same things. About COVID, the masks, politics. But as a church, we've lost our focus, I feel like, to what is really important. And we need to get our eyes fixed back upon the cross, upon Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, that's a tough one. We need to start with the major issues, and that's the major. We need to start loving God and loving our neighbor. And the second point is like this, is that we need to remember that we are called to be witnesses to our community. And if you remember the church of Corinth, it was a disgraceful church. They were sitting inside the church, and everybody knew about it outside the church. But God has called us to what? Be set apart. To be an example for our community. And God wants us to be witnesses. And I really believe that we can be. I believe this church is special. And we want our church to be known for really loving people and the word of, and teaching the word of God. We want to be known as a church that when people come to visit, they see and they hear and they experience something different. Because we have Jesus Christ in our lives, and we worship him. See, when people leave this church, my hope is that they feel that there's something different here at BBC, and they will want to come back because they need more of Jesus. They need more of God's love. They need more of God's forgiveness. We, will, As Christians, we want BBC to be a place where people can w- want to come and meet Jesus and find fellowship. And that is my prayer for our church. Just as Paul has a prayer for the people in Corinth, he loves them. But he also wants them set in the right way. And as a church, we need to keep our eyes fixed upon him and love the people that he's given us. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your help in these uncertain times. Lord, we pray for unity and help each of us to focus more on you. Help us to, help us to offer love and grace to our families, to our church members, and to the people around us. Lord, I am thankful for your forgiveness. And Lord, help me to get along and provide unity to the people around me. Lord, I want to be your example. And we pray all this in your precious name. Amen.